Working Cows Podcast, Episode 166. Welcome to the podcast that gives producers a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices. Practices that have increased the effectiveness of their operation and the joy that their families have received from this lifestyle. Howdy, everybody. It's Clay Connery, host of the Working Cows podcast, powered by the Global Ag Network, here with another episode for you. Really excited to be joined today by Jeff Ramsire. He is a guy who's been in and around and influential in uh, regenerative agriculture for a while, and and he's been uh, afforded the opportunity to manage some land for the first time in a while that he's really excited about, and I wanted to... Uh, invite him on to celebrate with him and think a little bit about what that looks like as an opportunity to uh, make some decisions. Uh, before we jump into the episode with Jeff, I did want to uh, invite you to hang around after the show. I got a, a little bit of an announcement I want to make uh, about the the Patreon uh, support and some opportunity there. So uh, hang around and I'll share that with you after the show. But for now, Jeff, thanks for joining me on the Working Cows podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, you recently posted that you were taking over uh, management of a piece of ground there in, uh, in Ohio. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so if you could share a little bit, I, I guess I think about uh, ranching east and west of the 100th Meridian as kind of a, a line that, that says this is a little bit different uh, a little bit different context or a lot different context and you're quite a ways east of that and uh, so if you'd give me a little bit of an idea of what the context of of ranching and agriculture is in in your neighborhood and how things uh, tend to get get handled there and and the way land is typically managed sure um over here there aren't many ranchers I think uh, in Ohio basically the average beef cow size is maybe 15 head um, mostly um, show stock, you know, they'll have eight, 10 cows. And of course they sell a couple, you know, they all want to sell a $10,000 steer. So it's quite a bit different than the way we run it. But over here, it's mostly farms, uh, very little ranching. Southeast Ohio gets into more open style ranching than we have here, mainly because of the small, uh, small sizes and land cost. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, a, a lot of club calves and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so how is the landscape managed, the the landscape that is uh, in agriculture? Um, Is it row crops? Uh, There is an I in Ohio. So is it just like any other I state or or (laughs) what is, what is the, what is the management of the landscape there? Yes. For the most part, we're in a pretty heavy dairy area here. So it's still uh, row crops, but of course they have forages too. Um, That can be sorghum sedan, you know, regular alfalfa, not a whole lot of straight alfalfa raised here, a lot of grass alfalfa mix for good energy. Um, of course, a lot of corn silage, um, but mostly corn and soybeans because a lot of the dairy farmers have gone out of business. So now it's, you know, the typical um, corn, soybeans, Florida rotation. <laughs> I missed that last part and then it, it clicked. Corn, soybeans, <laughs> Florida. Got it. Florida. Yep. I'm with you. Yep. Uh, okay. So um, 
can you tell me a little bit about the history of the piece of land that you you are taking over? Yes. Actually, there's about 70 acres. Um, this farm was purchased um, by one of the Varneses, uh, I believe it was in 1915. Um, the farm was called Crystal Springs Farm. And actually, the old logo is still on the side of the, the, the bank barn there, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did uh, basically for back then he was very innovative he was bringing in uh, up to six thousand feeder lambs from out west um, and way farther west than here Mm -hmm. i forget if it was south dakota north dakota somewhere in that range montana maybe yep Um, and then they split them between four farms uh, four different farmers here in wayne county Um, so each farm was raising 1500 lambs and back in the 20s say 2025 that's a lot and it's you know it's ridiculous amounts for now Mm -hmm. around here um, but that's what he did. He also raised buffalo. I believe they started that around the 40s. Um, pretty much as soon as they could start buying them, I guess they did because they're already out there buying lambs. And then they got into the buffalo stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the, mate, the patriarch that started it all, he kept buying basically any farm he could get attached to. Uh, so I think they said it was up to around six, 700 acres. Uh, but over the time uh, with um, deaths and you know spreading the land out between heirs and stuff, uh, most of it has gone, <clears throat> excuse me, out of the family, uh, but this was the the center of the farm and the the start of the farm. So um, that's basically what's going on there now. Um, it was um, ran by a guy that was a le- electrician, and he didn't really farm that much. Um, so he rented out the crop ground and also rented out grazing after he got to a certain age. So they were basically um, doing corn and soybeans on the crops, and um, uh, what would you call it? I guess it'd be set stocking the rest of the rest of the pasture so. was the the crop ground was kind of the the premium ground and then everything that was marginal remained in grass yes uh, the crop ground is basically crick what we'd call crick bottom right right beside crick it's flat uh there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a hill in it but nothing serious um and then from there it basically goes straight up um rough kind of gullied out um there's two big springs on the farm that have created two big gullies uh, because of that so uh, it'd be pretty tough to get equipment in there and, and do any kind of crops in that area. Sure. And uh, the marginal land, did it did it remain in grass even to this day? Or were, like when around here in 2014, uh, when, when corn went way high, um, you know, there were move the swing set and plow, plow up the yard because you want to have every acre you can in corn. Did that happen there too? No, it sounds like this has been in grass for many, many years. I'm not mm. sure exactly how many, but um, at least back through the 80s uh, is when they, they still had buffalo there. Because I remember going there as a kid, you know, just driving by to see the buffalo, which we didn't see that many of over this way. So, When you posted uh, the picture of the opportunity, uh, I guess probably remiss at this point, but uh, congratulations, by the way, on the opportunity <laughs> to have some land back under your management. So. Mm-hmm. Um, when you posted the picture, it looked like it was uh, kind of bare, bare tilled soil with some crop residue left on it. Is that what's been happening on that ground recently, or was that uh, just a small piece of what you're you're managing? Yes, and actually, if, if you look to the corner of that picture, the upper left hand corner, you can start to see the grass, but uh, the sun was coming down, so you can't really see much there. Uh, but yes, corn and soybeans—that was corn. They took that off, I believe, two or three weeks ago. So that's the plan is to start there. We'll graze that off and also bale graze in that area with our cows and my custom grazed cows. 
and then um, kind of use that to get it started. Ideally, we want to plant some early cover crops there so we can graze there and let the old pasture rest a little bit. We're just not sure if that's going to work out yet. This depends on weather, you know, how muddy it gets and everything. Sure, sure. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the resource base uh, of your of your area, where you're at in Ohio, what kind of rainfall you get, what kind of grasses you've got, um, some of those things. Um, I should have looked up the actual rainfall before, but I know we're probably over 40 inches. I'm not exactly sure where we're at, but rainfall isn't usually a problem except through normally June and July. Uh, it's very hit and miss. Some years we'll have it every week and some years it'll go till late August, early September. 2017, we, the water shut off about the middle of June. It didn't start up again until almost September. So that was, you know, to us, that's a drought. Uh, out West, that's probably normal, but that's is kind of how it is here. We usually dry through July and August at least. And grasses, um, mostly an orchard grass, uh, some fescue. We're not super heavy in the infected fescue here, more towards um, as you head south. Um, red clover basically grows out of the ground here. And I think that's because this region or this area was commonly in the, you know, the small grains, clover, um, back to corn, you know, soy soybeans weren't normally in the rotation of the old, old guys. Um, so there's always hard seed from clover. And if they let it seed out, then, you know, they get that clover too. Hmm. Um, so red clover seems to do really well. Um, if you get open spots, you'll see some white clover started, uh, but we don't normally plant that because it doesn't seem to produce near the forage that the uh, red clover does for us. Uh, what about soil types? Uh, is it sandy? Is it loamy? Is it clay? Mostly in the area. And I haven't actually dug a, haven't even dug a hole there yet, but um, I'm assuming that the creek ground is probably the crop ground along the creek is probably a sandy loam. Uh, but most of the rest of the ground over here is fairly heavy clay. Um, and it really depends on what's been done to it. Uh, some of that clay can still, you know, um, infiltrate water. But if it's been corn, soybeans forever, uh, it's basically like a rock below, you know, wherever they tilled. And even with no till, if they're not putting cover crops up, it just makes that stuff just hard as a rock. So when I went there and walked into the pasture, it felt like I was walking on cement. It was, mm. it was tight. Zeroing in on, on these 70 acres, what are the challenges that you see? Uh, the history of its management has created some challenges for you because uh, I'm assuming your goal is to graze for as much of the year as possible. Uh, is First of all, is that accurate um, for and what what are what are the tools in your toolbox as far as management and when I'm I'm talking about critters, what are what are your primary tools that you're going to use uh, as far as your management of that land? I guess we'll start with the challenges first. I think my main challenge is I have all these things I want to do and I have to figure out where to start. Um, <laughs> is what it comes down to because all, all this stuff rolling through my head and you know with our previous partnership we we kind of our management style down we know what we want to do. Uh, but now it's all up to us. You know, we we decide what we do, pass or fail, it's it's on us. So hmm. um, just a little bit of everything. But basically the challenge I think we're going to have first is just to get something growing there um, that we can graze. Um, I'm 110% confident with good grazing, we can turn the place around. There's no question whatsoever with what we saw before. Um, as far as tools to use, I'm a real big fan. I call it cosmic, constant cover cropping or something like that. But Everybody else has a different name sometimes, but basically going in with a spring cover crop, say oats and peas, 
um, and then grazing that and then coming back as the soil is warmed up with the summer annual, drilling it right in, no-tilling everything, but constantly grazing it also, you know, in strips. Um, and then towards fall, come in with a, you know, winter annual mix and then just start the whole thing over again the next year. And do that for, say, my guess is kind of two to three years till we can get that soil kind of revved up and cranking. Um, we're not sure what we're going to do on the pasture side of it yet. Uh, for now, we might just drill in some um, Italian ryegrass or something like that to get some quick green because we're pretty sure from looking at the, you know, the grass that's there that it's been pretty whooped on. So I'm not sure how fast it's going to respond. I think it really needs rest more than anything. Um, and I'm sure it needs nutrients, but we can get that with the cattle and, you know, our little livestock. So um, I think mainly it's just, you know, get something there that we can put the animals on and use the animals to do what we want to do. So this constant cover cropping, uh, mm -hmm. would the goal be to have a perennial growing there eventually? Um, what, what does that, what does that practice look like? Um, for this farm, because we have so many ideas of what we want to do, I think we just want to get it to a place where we can do what we want to do. Um, like you said, some, when we talked before, some of the opportunities, one of them is we'd like to have an on-farm store at the, at the, at the farm because we're roughly a quarter mile from Worcester, Ohio, um, from the actual, you know, corporation line. Uh, and I forget how many people there live there, several thousand. So a pretty good base of customers. So we might want to um, just say, raise some vegetables in there, or raise something else, or we could come in with corn, corns, you know, I don't like soybeans myself, but we'd come in with coin, corn and uh, maybe raise a, an old heritage style or something like that, something we could get a little bit more out of. Um, and, and we are bringing the whole place, um, setting it all up to be organic eventually, transitioning to organic. So we could raise organic corn there um, and this whole 60 inch row corn, I don't know if you guys heard of that out there, but mm -hmm. that really sparked my interest when I saw that uh, because I actually have an Amish guy uh, just south of us. We were on a tour there and he's been basically running his ewes in his corn for the last hundred years. <laughs> basically when the corn's over, hip high, he puts the ewes in there and they eat every weed in the place. And it just kind of blew my mind that, you know, you could do that, but on 60 inch rows, you could put them in, you know, when the corn's the same height and you could run little stuff in there or whatever you wanted to run in there, as long as there's feed in the middle of the row. But uh, that's something that's just kind of piqued my interest, but we could either just keep grazing that and probably run stockers or um, finishing grass fed in there. It's wide open right now. So we're not really sure. Sure. But mainly just to get it, kind of back to back to life. What kind of carrying capacity do you anticipate that place having? I mean, what, what kind of acres per cow is it in, in your neck of the woods? In our neck of the woods, like where we had our cow, had our livestock partnership before to this place would be maybe 15 minutes. It's not that far away. So I think it'd be pretty close. Um, what we could do there was on permanent pasture, about one acre per cow calf pair. Um, and then maybe a quarter acre of cover crops along with that. Hmm. So it's fairly productive land once you get it, you know, kind of back and rolling. Um, a lot different than you guys out west where it's multiple, you know, multiple 10s, 20s, 30s, whatever. For yep. You know. Yep. What I'm looking outside, everybody around here would tell you 30. What I'm looking wow. at, my window looking at right now. So, and, and where I grew up about mm -hmm. 100 miles west of here, everybody would tell you 40. So. Uh, yeah, that just blows my mind. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then and then I hear about places like Arizona where it's six hundred, and and that blows my mind. So I guess <laughs> yeah. it's all it's all relative. No kidding. <laughs> I mean, small herds are huge land, one or the other. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, what is what's your history of management? What what have you guys been involved in before? Uh, who who is who is part of that management team? Are they in on this one, or is it is this a solo deal? Uh, some of those things. Sure. Um, our management before was basically um, 100% based off of Gabe Brown through YouTube. Um, we, I started listening to that stuff back, my goodness, it was probably around 2010, somewhere in that range. I uh, didn't actually meet Gabe until about 2016 at a, at a thing up in Wisconsin. Um, but it was basically low input. Um, and then we actually switched to grass fed after we got cows. But this one will be a little bit different. It'll just be my wife, Michelle, and I and our family. Um, I've got lots of friends that are willing to help. Um, actually, we were just on a text group the other day. Um, you know, it, it's kind of weird, but I know a lot of these guys like Gabe Brown, Ray, Archuleta, Alan Williams, John Kemp, and I can text them and they'll just say, you know, right off the top of the head what, you know, what they're thinking. And that's, to me, that's pretty awesome. Hmm. But, uh, but that's basically where we're going. Um, what we had before, we started with, with cows. Uh, beef cows, then we got some hair sheep, then we got some pigs. Um, I think the pigs are the last thing we did there. But right now we're running um, some meat goats, uh, some hair sheep, a few cows. We have very few cows. I think we're down to three cows now, but um, we're running some uh, custom grazing cows too where we pay by the day. Um, we're looking at some guys that want us to just finish and pay by the gain. Um, we just basically right now need animal units. And that's one of our challenges too, is how much do you try to buy and how much do you try to get in on custom basis? So I think we're going to try to um, get as much on a custom basis as we can for now, you know, just to get it rolling and, and going. But there are certain spots in the ground too, that's like up in the woods. Woods is kind of a brushy, junky woods, and there's not a whole lot of actual timber there. Uh, so we're probably going to go in there with a, uh, um, and get access to a skid steer with a rotary mower, mow off that brush, and then use that as like the, the uh, meat goat area. As that stuff grows up, the goats absolutely enjoy that stuff, and they don't do that good on just grass. So mm-hmm. they'll, they should really like it up there. We're planning to have all those and who knows what else, maybe some poultry of some type. My wife has already told me no turkeys. Uh, she had a bad experience as a kid, so there's not going to be any turkeys there. But could but be a, ducks, geese, whatever, yeah. A, a polyculture of critters, yeah. hopefully mm-hmm. – uh, creating a polyculture of of grasses and forbs yeah. and shrubs and all exactly. that. Yeah. So, uh, who are your competitors when it comes to leasing something like this? Mostly uh, for just land in general, it's the the grain guys. Um, they're paying. Uh, we've heard. Well, these are all rumors, of course, too. But anywhere from two seventy five to three hundred bushel an acre, or uh, dollars an acre. And this ground is mostly one hundred fifty bushel the acre or less. So I really don't see how that pencils out, but they seem to keep doing it. Um, a lot of, um, like I said, some very large dairies, anywhere from, you know, a large is a relative term, but large used to be anything over 500 head. Now it's anything over thousands of heads. So mm-hmm. in our county, we've got four or five that are over, well over a thousand head mm-hmm. of dairy cows and several in the three to 500 or 800. And anything comes up, they're just right there to snatch it up. So that's usually the toughest part. This because of how it's set up, um, meaning there's not much crop ground. There wasn't a whole lot of competition. It just We just lucked out that we had the, the connection with the guy that connected us to them. And 
um, has worked out really well because the, the owners are actually out-of-state landowners. Uh, their, their dad passed away who was living there, um, and they really wanted to keep it a farm, but they were just trying to figure out how to do that. At one point, they talked about um, actually buying their own livestock and you know hiring a livestock manager and all this stuff. And when we talked, I said, well, it's, it is 70 acres. It seems a lot like a lot, but you don't usually have enough margin to make that a full-time job. So then we talked about leasing, and that's how we got this set up. So it's going really well. Does it does it take any salesmanship on your part to kind of tell a regenerative story that is appealing to them, or uh, did that did that not enter into the conversation? It definitely did because they wanted it to come back to the farm that it used to be, um, mm. and that's what we really wanted to do was find a spot that we could do what we wanted and we could you know build it back and not only build it back but hopefully still be there you know say 10 12 years from now besides you know you get a crop field for one year and then you're done we didn't really want to get into that situation um and actually the first face-to-face meeting we had i can well if i get into grazing i start just kind of going off on a tangent so thinking this is going to be an hour-long meeting uh, i started explaining them to them how to move fence and they, you know, they were there when the buffalo were there and they're like, well, you can't move fence, you know, that's, and they're thinking big woven wire right, and all this right. stuff. And I, I tried to explain it, like, you know, I even had a chalkboard there and I was trying to draw it out. And I said, well, this is just not going to work. You can't see, you know, what I'm trying to explain. So luckily I had my farm car there that had reels and posts and all that stuff in it. So I brought it out and we just gave a demonstration right there. <laughs> and I walked over to the guy and I said, you know, have you ever seen this before? And he's like, what's that going to do? It's just plastic. You know, it's polybraid. So, mm-hmm. And so we have to look inside and we had a really good conversation, but it, it did take a while. But once we started doing that, then they completely got, you know, what we were trying to do. So it seemed to work really well. How long did it take you to find a, another piece to, to manage? Well, actually we had found 18 acres um, that we started leasing this year from one of my dairy farmers. He bought some land that wasn't all certifiable, organic certifiable, mm-hmm. and he has organic cows. So he could loot use the front uh, two fields and then the back four well back two um, and this is all woven wire fence the first time I ever had that so that was awesome being that's about 25 minutes from home that makes makes it nice too but um, so he had the front two fields and then we get the back two fields basically until um, until they either decide to raise more heifers there or um, if they decide to do crops or something there but hopefully we can just keep that grazing and keep you know, keep building that up. But that's in, you know, basically those fields are in transition to, you know, for them. Is the, what's, is the process of transitioning to organic? Is that just a number of years without certain chemicals? Um, yeah. Or, go ahead. Yes. Chemicals or, you know, however you want to look at it, chemicals, practices, um, basically anything that's not permitted on the, in the national organic uh, rule. Um, you have 12 months, sorry, you have three sections of 12 months. So three total years from the time that was last applied. So um, depending on, you know, most corn and soybeans, you know, the last sprays normally go on say June, July. So you could actually harvest, if you put crops in there, you could harvest that on the third year. It could be planted while it's still in transition, but it'd have to be completely out of that transition until they could harvest it. Gotcha. And what about this land? Um, It it was just, uh, you said just the last couple of weeks, they took the last, Last mm-hmm. of the corn off. Uh, what what were some of the other fields? Were they uh, corn this year as well? Yes, there's only two fields. Um, I haven't had a chance to measure the second field, uh, but I've got an app on my phone that I just turn on, drive around the field, and, and measure it. So the first field's only about seven acres, 
I'm guessing the other field might be 12, 13. Uh, they were kind of under the impression there's 30 acres of crop fields, but I didn't see that. So uh, nobody ever actually went out there and measured it. That's just kind of, he said, that's how they always said it was, you know, 30 acres. So I'm thinking that they probably used to do the next field up, maybe, you know, kind of up the, up the step because you can kind of see a, a line where it's been tilled. Sure. Um, and that would make it pretty close to 30, but we're not planning to do any more up, up the hill at all. Sure. And the other 40 is trees and, and grass? Trees and brush and grass. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And it is all woven wire, but I'm guessing, um, actually one of the uncles came over the other night and he was pretty sure that they put the wire up somewhere in the seventies, the, the perimeter wire. So the wire is still good because it was back when they made, you know, heavy steel wire. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the posts are rotted off. Mm. Uh, so basically what we're planning to do to kind of alleviate that, you know, the landowners don't want to spend a whole bunch of money right off the bat. Um, so you're talking probably 50 or 60,000 to replace that perimeter fence. Uh, so what we're going to do is just drive T post behind beside all the broken ones and just wire them together. Mm-hmm. And then I found a thing on uh, one of Greg Judy's uh, YouTube about putting up an offset fence. And I think it's like mm-hmm. eight inches away from the fence and it'll be two wires so that there'll be something there to keep the sheep and the goats, sheep goats and cattle off of that outside fence. Uh, so we're hoping we could get another, you know, maybe 15, 20 years out of that outside fence, perimeter fence, because, the, you know, they won't be messing with it or pushing on it. Plus, we wanted a wire, we wanted hot wire all the way around, so we can hook on a reel wherever we want to, or a net, or, yep. you know, and we just don't have that now with no, no electric around the outside. So you still have all your all your equipment and all your tools uh, from the last, last time you guys were managing, um, I Actually, guess you said... Yeah, actually, those tools were part of the partnership, so those tools stayed, most of them, Mm -hmm. uh, that we didn't purchase ourselves. But I had just purchased new set for the 18 acres that we have now, so I've got that set, and we'll probably just get another another set of reels and posts and whatever for this one. Still trying to determine the best post to put up for that offset fence because everything's expensive. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. Somebody says try this, and I go five bucks a piece. Yeah, exactly, and it gets ridiculous. So. What are some of the resources that you'll you'll count on that you'll lean on uh, as far as the moving this this land in the direction that you want to go? Um, resources. Um, there's one. Uh, his name's Harrison Hobart from Midwestern Bioag. I work with him through uh, Organic Valley. He's going to get us started on kind of a I guess you'd call it a um, testing regime, so we can see where we're at soil test wise mm-hmm. um, in all the fields, and then. Normally people don't do this, but test say every year, you know, to see what's changing if, if things are changing, because they really want to be able to show people that you can take broken down land and fix it with livestock. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't, hopefully you don't need to spend a whole bunch of money on, you know, all the, all the inputs that you went on the crop ground. Um, That's our main thing is that, you know, they've done this for thousands of years. Let's just let them do it. You know, the livestock, why do we have to do it the way the, and I hate to say, and you know, the way the input salesman, because he sells inputs too, but a lot of times you're putting on stuff just because they say to do it, in my opinion. Uh, my grandpa used to say that you never should take advice from somebody trying to sell you something. And I kind of believe in that too. But working with Harrison, he, he understands what we're trying to do. So that really helps. What are you, what do you envision uh, the starting place is going to be um, bale grazing in in cover crops and cows, is that right? Yes. Um, we're working on the crop, first crop field now. Um, well, we did, we actually had six inches of snow here the other day, and maybe a third of that's still here. 
Mm. Uh, so that kind of cut down on fix, you know, the fence has trees growing through it and everything else. So that's what I started doing the other day was just going through and trying to get the trees off of the fence. Um, so the plan is to get that fence right, that first crop field ready. And then actually the next field up has a pretty good regrowth on it. So we'll probably connect both together uh, so they can graze a little bit of each and then have bales out there for them too, if they need bales. Um, and that'll be just with the cows, um, mainly because I don't want to put up a, a multi-wire fence there right now, you know, until we're sure exactly what we want to do. Um, but we'll put the offset fence up so that's ready for, you know, for whatever we put in there. Uh, but then go to the second crop field um, and get that ready and then start on the perimeter. But um, ideally, we'd like to move our sheep and goats there at this, you know, two and then keep our other pasture, you know, away from the farm to custom cows or something like that. So they're not, you know, spread out all over the place. But so but we do have, yeah. You've got sheep and goats on the 18 acres now. Is yeah. that right? Sheep, yeah. And we had through the summer, we had, um, uh, call sows, pigs in there also. That's for our direct market um, non-GMO pork program. Um, where it's at, it's got a, uh, I guess you'd call it a, a spring tank. I don't know if you guys have those out there where you just, it just constantly runs, you know, so yep. it doesn't freeze. But there's not really a way for a pig to drink out of that. Now, the baby pigs could actually climb up the side like a little puppy and reach in, but a sow can't, you know, completely turn her head, you know, that way to get her head in because it's too mm. tall. Um so we we don't have any over there now because of freezing and everything, but probably in the spring more. Um, in our other partnership, we tried farrowing pigs, and I grew up on a hog farm, so I know all about farrowing, but somebody has to be there that knows what's going on with farrowing. It's not, they do pretty much on their own, but it's not as easy as, you know, a cow that just lays down and has a calf. Yeah, you might um, see it three days later and it's okay. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and a cow doesn't care, you know, right. but something can go really sideways quickly with the sow, you know, because there's so many pigs running around, there could be, sure. you know, 12 or 15 babies. And if, if one or two get, you know, knocked off or something or disowned, somebody's got to be there to see that. And if not, they're dead. I mean, it's, yeah, it's the cow would actually, the, the cow would actually prefer that you weren't there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily we have fairly calm cows, so they don't usually get aggressive about that, but um, I don't want to be there for that cow. That cow, right. she's done that forever, so why should I mess with it? Exactly. I think somebody asked me that the other day. And I think in our almost five years with that partnership, I actually helped two heifers calf. And one of them was because my wife was there and thought we needed to do it. I personally think it would have been fine. Um, but we pulled, you know, just twisted a little bit. And then I had one that turned, came backwards. So sure. um, after we had our own breeding, the first year was a mess because they sold us, uh, we basically bought heifers, um, the only heifers we could find, and they, just like everybody says, were bred to low birth weight Angus bulls, you know, that's the kind of the common thing to say, so we found them, we bought them, they brought them in on a semi, we're done, but when you start getting silver cow, silver calves out of um, black cows, you kind of start to wonder about the breeding, yeah. and when you have a, a foot coming out bigger than your fist, um, you have some issues. So we pulled some of those. We actually lost a couple of those heifers. Uh, not, you know, we actually lost a couple of heifers too, but we lost some of those calves because they just, you know, not bred the way we wanted. And when you buy a pig and a poke, you get a pig and a poke. Yeah. You know, the, uh, bull that was in the pasture with them was a low birth weight Angus bull, but mm. the neighbor's bull was not. <laughs> yes, obviously. And he, it was funny because he even showed us the bull. This is the bull they're bred to. Yeah. Well, it's a high tensile woven wire fence where they were, so I'm pretty sure another bull didn't jump in on its own. 
So, <laughs> hey, whatever. Sure, sure. Yep. Um, I, let's talk about that marketing piece of this mm-hmm. of this puzzle. Um, you've got some of your own critters. Um, you've got your your so you will be marketing some some protein. Uh, mm-hmm. You also are marketing the land and the grass to custom to outside cattle as well or outside uh outside ungulates uh what uh what is that what are some of the marketing pieces of your business plan and and what are you what are you shooting for there sure um for the most part our marketing plan has been through facebook um and just word of mouth we I've talked about doing a website many, many times, but it just seems we run out of time to get that done. And honestly, we don't want to pay somebody to do it. So, so far it's worked pretty good. Um, what, during this whole COVID thing this year, we actually stopped advertising because we were running out of meat. And my wife said, if we run out of meat, there's going to be some, there, there's going to be some problems in this house. So basically I had to set some, set aside meat and keep it in the house. So we wouldn't sell, we have freezers in, in the garage, but mm. Um, it's mostly been just people we know. Um, and as far as marketing, you know, the grass and stuff like that, it'd probably be the same, just people we know and over Facebook. Um, especially on the meat side, you can really focus your ads um, to certain areas and, you know, exactly who you want to find. It's kind of crazy how detailed you could get on that. Um, and money wise, it's really actually pretty cheap uh, for how many you can, how many people you can reach and, you know, what you can do with it. Um, but that seems to be what's working for us so far. Um, as we get into some of the other stuff, we might have to do some other kind of advertising, but for now it just seems to work pretty good that way uh, for us. And, but the meat that you're marketing, uh, mm-hmm. currently, is it, is it, uh, lamb and, and goat and, and cows or, or calves, uh, beef? Uh, what, what are you marketing as far as, uh, proteins right now? Right now, what, all that we are doing is, uh, what we're calling non-GMO um, pork. Um, some of it could be raised outside. It's not 100% outside, but they're, um, it's from Nyman Ranch. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, they have some farmers in the area, and basically it's a, a marketing company where the farmers own, it's kind of, it's different than like a chicken barn, but basically they have a set price for their animals, but the own the animals still. It has to meet their program. Well, they used to be, the way I understood it, they used to be a supplier for Chipotle for their pork. Um, and that had to be non-GMO. So a lot of them kind of stuck with that non-GMO um, and they don't have to anymore, uh, but some of them stuck to those. And that's the people we buy sows from, the call sows, and that's our non-GMO pork program. Um, we do raise, like we did buy some call sows that had ended up having babies. So we raised them and sold them, but uh, we won't probably have many that we're actually fattening out. Um, and in our gross, grass-fed brief, uh, grass-fed beef program, we used to do steers in our partnership, but without the land, we had to figure out some way to kind of pivot on that. So what we actually did is um, I have probably somewhere around 25, 30, somewhere in that range, uh, dairy farmers that are on our, what we call our grass milk truck. So they'd be organic grass fed. So basically what I do um, is when we're, you know, getting processing spots has been a nightmare. So when I find out when I got a spot, I'll just let all those guys know that, hey, I need to and actually, we have a hotline through um, one of the farmers, too, um, where we can put on, you know, what people are looking for. So I just go on there and say, you know, I'm looking for X amount of grass-fed beef, uh, grass-fed cows, uh, call cows, and um, just give me a call. 
so I have a list of people that usually call or I have other guys come, you know, bring us more, but, um, and this might kind of sound kind of weird, but mostly what we do is jerseys, uh, they're grass fed jerseys. Um, meat quality can't be touched. I mean, it's, right. it's the best you can get. Hmm. Um, but I, they all know that, um, I don't want skinny cows and I don't want sick cows. I want cows that, you know, misbreeding or had a, you know, had something, you know, like a step teat or something where they dried them off and they weren't milking anymore or something. So they got some condition on them. Mm. Um, I see that a lot with, with people that are, are marketing grass fed beef. They're so lean that there's no fat in the hamburger mm. and you have to have fat in everything. And in my opinion, you have to have fat in everything to get flavor. Mm-hmm. So I don't want a skinny cow and usually a skinny cow will be in that, you know, something's messed up in their body. So they're not, you know, they're not healthy. And then obviously the meat doesn't taste very good either. So um, we really focus on getting, you know, really nice cows. Um, actually, I picked one up this summer for one of my farmers. And he said, you know, this is the biggest cow I've ever had. And I was mm. like, well, you know, how big was it? And he didn't even know. You know, he had no clue. We took it to the to the butcher shop, and I think she hung a 700-pound carcass. And this is a jersey. So <laughs> it was a big cow. But she was roly-poly fat. I mean, it was hilarious. But yeah. she didn't even want to get on because she's so used to just kind of laying around and getting fat. But it was different, but yeah, that she ate really well. So, but that's oh. what we do on our program. Um, eventually we probably will get back into, uh, raising steers. I don't know that we actually get back into raising our own calves that much, mainly because it just doesn't have the profit margin we need with limited acres. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we had a place and I'd love to have a place, say Southern Ohio, where you can still rent ground cheap and, and, or buy ground cheap for say, you know, 12, 1500 an acre, <laughs> but up here, you can't touch it for 10,000, you know, the last farm sold for 99.50. Um, I just can't see how anybody, especially a grass fed beef guy can afford that. But the people that are around here doing it, you know, they all have, you know, 10 or 12 cows. And that, to me, that makes it seems like it would make it really tough to do anything mm-hmm. but, because we were running well, at the lowest point, we were running about 70 cows and it was still tough to keep the cash flow going, you know, mm-hmm. because you're waiting so long and, Right. Um, the first year we kind of messed up, so we weren't selling steers until they were over 30 months. Mm. So we were sitting on that money for quite a while. Um, I hope we have that all figured out now. But you know, just it's a completely different uh, cash flow than you know e- either being a dairy farmer where you get a check every two weeks, or being a crop farmer where you get a check once a year. You know, it's it's just not the same. You know, it's harder to do. So what's the turnaround time uh, from coming off of the dairy? as a dry Jersey or out of the, out of the pig barn as a cull sow uh, mm-hmm. and until they're hanging at a butcher shop. Normally I pick them up in the morning and drop them off that night or the next day. Okay. They, they're not, they're not at our place very long. We did have to do some cull sows this year because um, the farmers I was usually getting from didn't have any at the time. So um, it gets kind of screwy with all the labels, but um, we basically got those and had them for four months, had them running on the pasture, um, non-GMO feed, you know, for four months. So to us, we considered that non-GMO, um, for a purist, maybe it's not, I don't know exactly, but for us, that's pretty close. Um, and those, it was so funny to watch those sows. We actually bought, um, growing up on a hog farm, you know, what, what a typical commercial sow looks like. She's always white, you know, she's never had any color on her. So basically when we went to the auction, we didn't buy anything that was white. Um, we bought um, speckles, spots, stripes, you know, Hampshire's, whatever, something different than just the typical white sow, white animal or white hog. And it was amazing how we got them off the, 
the trailer and actually we didn't we didn't start leasing that place till maybe the middle of may so we had pretty tall grass by that time it's hip high mm. and i didn't know where these came from because they're just at the auction but every single one of them came off and i started eating grass <laughs> it just blew my mind um blew my brother's mind too because he's a commercial hog farmer and he said they'd never eat grass so of course <laughs> they had to take a video and send that to him but him and i get into some of those arguments several times but um and they just went to it and absolutely loved it they had 11 acres to run on there was one corner where there was a whole bunch of stumps and you know stuff piled up that's where they always hung out you know they'd be digging for whatever under there so we actually only fed them like two or three pounds a day and these are 600 pound sows and not a one of them lost weight i mean they just packed it on eating whatever they could find out there hmm. um and they did do some rooting <clears throat> excuse me but not anything that really would you know tear up the pasture they just kind of rooted around the corners and where those logs were there, you could see them pushing them around and, you know, getting bugs or whatever from under. So it was kind of a cool thing to see. Start off with this one, I guess. What what scares you about this project? Whew. I try not to think of those. <laughs> I try to avoid those. Um, what scares me, you know, ultimately is failure. You know, well, look, if it doesn't work, there's only kind of two people we can blame, and that's my wife and I. Um, but I, at the same time, that's what I like. You know, I like that challenge. But um I would say that's the thing that kind of scares me the most. And the other one kind of in the back of my mind that scares me a little is, and I've talked about this, about this with several other people is um, we want to buy X, say X amount, say we want to buy, let's just throw a number out, 30, 30 meat goats and 30 hair sheep. So that's 200 bucks a piece. That's a pretty good chunk of money. If we don't have it, where are we going to find that? Um, it's just not the easiest thing to just go in as a grazer and say, I need, you know, 25, 30,000. If I was a crop farmer that had, you know, 500 acres and I need a $400,000 combine, you know, here, go ahead. But it just doesn't seem to work that way with, with us. Um, but I actually did, and you had her on your podcast. That's how I got a hold of her was Mary Jo uh, Ehrman. Mm. I did have a meeting with her. We haven't gone under program yet, but she was able to just kind of pick apart our financing and get some of that finances and get some of that stuff um, separated out. So we were able to buy, I think we ended up buying 15, 16, uh, 15 hair shoot views and, and a buck this fall. Uh, so that's a start, um, but I'd like to have, you know, a hundred or more. So I think that in the back of my mind, that's probably going to be our next challenge, but it might just be waiting one more year of custom grazing till we can buy more or something like that. Uh, but we do have kind of some side deals. We were connected with a lot of people and I was just talking to somebody the other day that uh, is actually a chef in Columbus. And she said, well, you know, I, I have connections and, you know, maybe they'd want to finance you or something like that. So hmm. that's all completely open and up in the air. But um, I know there's people out there um, that are, I wouldn't say worried, but they're concerned with healthy food and they do have some money and they're willing to put, put that where, you know, kind of put their money where their mouth is. So getting connected with those people might not be the easiest, but, you know, I tell my wife it's always networking and she thinks it's just always sitting around talking, but it is kind of the same thing. <laughs> but you got to kind of have, have to do that to get the connections. So um, something to work out. I'm not really that concerned about it, but that would probably sure. be my second one. What uh, are, are those fears irrational on some level, given your experience? I don't know if irrational is the right word, but um, I think I have the experience to overcome most of that stuff. Is that what you're asking? Well, I'm more asking about like the, what you're doing. Um, you know, it works. It's proven to work. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. It's just kind of, I think sometimes it comes with the territory of being weird, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, as far as what you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. um, 
it's just another another layer of I know my neighbors looking over the fence and seeing that I'm I'm swath grazing cows, um, mm-hmm. and he, I know he knows I'm doing it because he's the one who got the swaths for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he still kind of looked at you sideways. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and if it doesn't work, um, mm-hmm. you know, then then there's just one more one more notch in the belt that mm-hmm. uh, you've got to have. That didn't work. You gotta have that shiny green tractor, mm-hmm. you know, and yep. you've gotta have that bale processor to mm-hmm. to for cows to survive through the winter. Yeah, and actually that when you bring up tractor, this is the first time we will have a tractor because that comes with the deal. Yeah. It is a I didn't look up the serial number, but it's somewhere around a fifty seven or fifty eight Farmall three hundred with a loader on it. Nice. Arrow front end, um, homemade loader. I mean it's it's quite a piece, but it does the job. It moves around bale around. So Sure. Um, for me, that's going to be something different because I wouldn't say I've never owned a tractor, but not since I've had cattle or livestock because um, yeah. we, we had some mess with our antiques before. So maybe we'll get another antique around, but right. um, most people would say that's an antique, but I just never, I mean, with the partnership, we had them because it was a grain farm, but the the beef farm could never pay for that tractor. I mean, never, right. ever. So. so did you, when you were setting up bales for bale grazing with the partnership before, was it mm-hmm. with the tractors from the grain farm? Yes. Mm-hmm. Basically, the way that worked is the, um, well, the way it was supposed to work and the way it did work were a little different, but the way it was supposed to work was the the partnership would buy hay from the grain side yep. uh, or corn stalks or whatever, you know, whatever we bailed up. And then we just set them out with the tractor. Um, sometimes we didn't have the right kind of hay. Like we, we had organic hay. So if it was good stuff, we couldn't afford to feed it to the cows. <laughs> uh, so we'd sell that to, you know, a dairy farmer. And then we'd buy in, you know, whatever grass hay we could find because, you know, that's one of our main things is having our babies when they should be had um, so they can get through the winter cheap. I mean, we don't wean, we don't wean our calves. Um, The only thing we, this year we won't have to wean it, but we are keeping back a bull calf to use. Uh, But because we have two pastures, we'll leave the mother with the bull calf at one pasture and move everybody else. Mm. Um, But those are usually the only ones we weaned. Uh, Steers we'd leave on, heifers we'd leave on. Um, and then heifers, we would expose them all. You know, they're all exposed to a bull. Whoever breeds, breeds. Whoever doesn't is grass-fed beef. So that seemed to work really well. And um, and I can't remember who was talking about it. And it might have been one of the books I was reading, but they're talking about uh, depreciation. Um, and I think it was maybe the Rain for, for, for Profit, one of their videos. I can't remember. But it told you how to calculate that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I calculated all that, and I sold the hamburger off that cow. She was worth more dead than she was alive, mm. which is kind of handy. So you don't need to <laughs> look at it that way, I guess. I don't know. Right. So if they bred, they bred. If they didn't, they didn't. So yeah, and uh, that one year we bred for 30 days and said, that's it. We're just going to clean house. And we did. So. Right. And even in a, in a cull cow market, in a cull cow situation, if she's old and mm-hmm. not worth much or not worth eating, um, uh, great Gabe Brown told me, uh, that the that there's seven hundred dollars worth of mm-hmm. NP and K yeah, in that carcass <laughs> yeah. if you're willing to exactly. compost it and mm-hmm. spread it out, you yep. know which you know that's seven hundred bucks is better than what you're going to get for a cull cow mm-hmm. now. Even a young yep. cull cow isn't worth mm-hmm. that much right now. Uh, yeah. Now if you breed her and sell her as a fall calver, that's mm-hmm. that's another strategy. But anyways, yeah. So we we talked about the the fears. Uh, what excites you? What are what are some of the things that are exciting to you about this project and this piece of land? 
I'm pretty sure it's the whole thing that excites me, but <laughs> um, mainly just a chance for us to do it. Um, you know, my wife and I've been together, you know, married for six years, but you know, a few years before that. So basically we've been chasing something like this for 10 years. Hmm. Um, and finally we caught one. So nice. um, that's probably the most exciting thing, but there's so many avenues that we can go through um, just on the other side of Worcester. And it's kind of funny because they have the same last name as us, but they'd be fourth or fifth cousins or whatever, but same place in Switzerland, um, but not really closely related, but they, um, they call it Ramsire farms. And it's basically all agritourism. They come in and they get a, you know, they pay so much to come in the door and that gets them rides on their slides and, you know, a hayride or whatever. And yep. then they buy a pumpkin for, probably too much money and they buy this for too much money. And um, I just talked to one of my buddies the other day and said it cost him 400 bucks till he got out of there with three kids. So it's, that's what I kind of see is really exciting is doing some of that stuff where we can show people. And even in Worcester, which there's farms all around it, there's people that, you know, they might be seven, eight, 10 generations from, or never, never had a farmer in their family. So their perception of what a farm is and, um, is what they see in the field. So that's a great big field, a big, great big sprayer, a great big planter. That's farming. Mm. And I want to show them that that's not the only, only thing. So mm. I'd say that's most exciting. Plus there's all kinds of, um, some of the opportunities too. There's, there's a big bank barn, um, an old, what we call peg barn, you know, where it's all pegged together and framed, mm. um, wow. would make a great place for, you know, meeting venue or wedding venue. There's an old house on the farm that could be renovated to make, you know, Airbnb or, mm. Um, you know, could go along with the wedding venue um, or like a farm stay where people would come and we'd help them, you know, kind of like, I don't want to say like um, polyface where you'd come and you'd, you know, spend a whole, spend whatever to, to learn what he does, but hmm. maybe something like that. Um, well, and I, just I, so much stuff. Yeah. And I think there's, you don't have to be necessarily the font of wisdom in that, in that mm -hmm. situation. You can bring some of those guys in and, yeah, and host exactly. the, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, host the, host event, the event there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. What about the ecology? Uh, what, what, from an ecological perspective, what, what excites you? Well, there's deer all over the place, <laughs> uh, mainly because there's 70 acres right in the middle of a housing development. Um, so that's another, you know, possibility is having, um, we can't really have gun hunts because there's only about one place you could actually shoot a gun mm -hmm. uh, without shooting at a house. Um, but, you know, maybe have, um, set stands and rent a stand by the day or, you know, something like that. But, um, being out in the field just a couple times, I've seen easily eight or 10 deer, a couple big bucks, um, had a coyote walk out in front of the RTV the other day. So that was interesting. Um, we would never see them that close, but we have guard dogs. So I'm not really that concerned about that. So. Yeah. From the hunting perspective, that's, uh, like slugs in a shotgun. Can't do that either. It's just archery. Um, from where they are, uh, it'd be, well, it depends on what kind of slug gun you have, too. Um, you know, a, a, an old Mossberg 500 with a improved cylinder choke ain't going to go very far, but some of those new ones will shoot, you know, 200 yards fairly accurately. Hmm. Um, and now in Ohio, you are used, allowed to use uh, straight wall calibers, rifle calibers, so 4570, 350s, 450, all that stuff. So those can definitely carry. Um, so I would be really concerned about those. Hmm. Um, not just a regular shotgun shell like rabbit hunting. I wouldn't be you know, worried about that, but. Um, as far as, I'm not sure if this is really ecology, but there's a lot of, um, I guess it would be a lot of, uh, erosion on the farm, mm. mainly from those gullies that just keep getting bigger and bigger sure. every year. 
and there's a field in the front that's currently rented to another um, cattle producer that they've just kind of overgrazed it into the ground. Mm-hmm. So every time it rains, you can just almost see a chunk fall into the big creek that's right there. And they can walk back and forth across the creek. And it just, as soon as I saw that field, it just kind of made me cringe a little bit. Um, same with, you know, the rest of the fields where, you know, this gully probably was, you know, 10 feet, 25, 30, 50 years ago. Now it's 25, 30 feet and getting deeper every year. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things we'd like to do is kind of put a, uh, and there's a big spring on one side. So put some kind of a holding pond or something to slow that water down. Mm-hmm. And then maybe have spring tanks off of that or just, you know, pipe it away, you know, something to try and stop those, you know, those big erosion points. But Yeah, I'm probably using the word wrong, but that's exactly what I was talking about okay. from an ecological perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Basically improve the land any way we can is what we're looking to do. Yeah, it'll be exciting to follow the tests, you know, and, and to mm-hmm. see those see those results in hard data. Um, yeah. More than and and the eye test is 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 relevant and is mm-hmm. um, applicable and you know, there's a better word for it that I'm not thinking mm-hmm. of right now, but it's it's something that is is just as valuable as mm-hmm. as the actual hard data, but the hard data is something you can show to somebody else and say, see, these are the this is where we were, this is where we're at. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd like that to go as far as like the, you know, whatever is growing in the pasture, you know, that diversity can somehow keep an eye on that, mm-hmm. you know, animals that increase and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of in our plan too. Yeah. Jeff, thanks for your time today. Any You're Anything welcome. we left on the table? Any big nuggets you were hoping we'd cover? Not that I can think of, other than I love the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's, I never I never thought I'd be invited to be on it. Let's put it that way. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I appreciate you. You've been a been a resource for me, uh, pointed me in the direction, some other resources that I've been able to make use of. And uh, But yeah, no, happy to have you, and I, I, I appreciate your your social media presence. Uh, any Anything there you want to share as far as how people can catch up with you? Um, basically, it's just Jeff Ramsire, R-A-M-S-E-Y-E-R. Um, I think there's about four of them on Facebook, but look for the one that has a cow on it. Or <laughs> has me with cows. I forget which it is, uh, what my yeah. cover print is now. So. Sure. Well, sounds good. And then good. also wanted to mention the, the uh, uh, Facebook group, group that we started to, Regenerative Farmers and Ranchers. Mm-hmm. I never thought we'd ever have 3,200 people on there. That just blew my mind. Just it was a winter Sunday afternoon, I thought, hey, I'm going to start one. Let's see what happens. And there's almost 3,200 people on there now. Has, the, has it even been going a year? No, it was, I want to say it was somewhere around February that I started it. Right. That's it, what I was thinking. Exploded. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's good. It's, it's really good. So yeah, I will, I'll, I'll link to all that in the show sure. notes page for today, workingcows.net slash 166. So check out the show notes page at workingcows.net slash 166. Jeff, thanks for your time today. Yep. Thank you. That's an exciting time for Jeff and his family and uh, really look forward to seeing how that grows and uh, do jump into the Regenerative Farmers and Ranchers group on Facebook. It's a great group. Uh, there'll be links to that, as I said, in the show notes page at workingcows.net slash 166. Uh, as far as Patreon goes, Patreon has changed some things up over the last uh, few months and now gives people the opportunity to uh, join for one year at a time to support the podcast one year at a time. So if that interests you, um, I would invite you to head on over to patreon.com slash working cows and sign up. Anybody who signs up at the $20 level, which is the swag level, 
it will get a pretty neat new uh, tumbler. They just just roll off the production line. I'll be sending them out to the supporters here in the next week or so. Uh, with uh, it's a the camp style double insulated mug with uh, WCP and WorkingCows.net engraved on it. So really excited to get those out. I've got a new round of hats coming probably after the first of the year. So uh, looking forward to sharing some of that swag with you guys. If you sign up at the at the $20 uh, yearly level, I'll get that out to you real soon. And then uh, we, will, we will continue to send out uh, swag uh, every six months or so to those people that are supporting at that level. And sometimes that's a, that's a signed copy of a book. Sometimes it's a coffee cup. Sometimes it's other things. I got, I got a design, uh, a couple of design ideas. I've got one that's already ready to go to print for a t-shirt and I've got a couple other ones I'd like to get made too. So anyways, I really appreciate all the support. Uh, It's been, been freeing me up to, uh, to, do a little better job on the podcast. I do have a 2021 goal of an episode every week on Monday. Uh, so starting that off, hopefully right here in the end of 2020 and continue to work towards that. So great community, really appreciate you guys and, uh, look forward to what 2021 will bring in the, uh, in the realm of the working cows podcast. We'll see you next week with another episode. We invite you to visit WorkingCows.net to subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, resources from our guests, and the industry leaders who have influenced them. For more ideas on putting your cows to work for you in a more profitable way, tune in next week.